Welcome to Canine Hijinks, the podcast for those who want to explore more ways to have fun with their dogs and perhaps discover the wider world of training and dog sports. It may even convert the casual pet owner into a dog sport enthusiast. Join me, Alyssa Looney. And me, Whitney Taylor, as we share our dog training journeys, as well as resources you can use to enhance your life with your canine friends. Welcome back to Canine Hijinks. We're so glad you're here with us. We have an interesting topic today, at least I think it's interesting, and I think it's one I've been thinking about a lot recently because I have so many kind of competing priorities, and and so we wanted to talk about that with you today. And so on this podcast, we tend to have an audience that is into agility. That's certainly the sport that Whitney and I are most into is agility, and we have a varying degree of goals for what we want out of the sport. Some of us just want something to get some energy out of our dogs. Some of us want um, to do well at local trials. Some of us want to do well at a national or world level. And, and those goals all have challenges depending on your particular circumstance, your dog, your access to the sport, that kind of thing. And for the most part, anybody who's involved in this sport at some point will have experienced failure related to their goals that they're trying to achieve. And that's what we wanted to talk about today is what do you do when what you wanted doesn't happen or isn't happening or isn't happening on the timeline that you wanted? What do you do? Yeah, so I would say number one on the small scale, and I'm going to minimize this piece, even though I think it's the most important thing for how you look at the sport and honestly how you look at life, is growth mindset. And so that by and large, failure is information. And so Mm -hmm. if you thought you could send your dog to the weave poles and then get a blind cross and they popped at the 10th pole, there you could be frustrated and say, I thought they knew that, except clearly they didn't. And it is information to go back and to train. I thought I could send my dog to that backside from this distance, and they couldn't. That is information to go back and train. So Mm -hmm. by and large, failure is information, is not a reflection of, you know, your self-worth or your ability or any of those things. And so if you have not read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, I would highly recommend it. But I think what we wanted to talk about today sort of goes a step beyond kind of having that good outlook. It's like, okay, I have that good outlook and I'm being super, super tested. Or I have that good outlook. I'm willing to analyze my failures for what I can learn. And I don't don't know. I don't know. Like, what does that look Mm -hmm. like? And how do you move past that point? So that's a little bit more what we're focusing on today, which is not to say that really like failure doesn't mean quit. Failure doesn't mean stop trying. Failure is information and that you need to take that information and do something different and go from there. But what we have seen and experienced ourselves is that oftentimes there are these struggles that happen when especially you get your 
2.0 agility dog. So Alyssa and I, like so many people, started agility with the dog we had on hand, the dog in our household that had too much energy, the dog in our household that really needed a job. And we just looked at them and we're like, you should do something. I should do something with you. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be agility that you pick. Or maybe it was barn hunt or nose work or herding or whatever have you that you just tried to go do something with the dog. And you had a good time and you got a lot of positive reinforcement from it and you really enjoyed it as a sport and you decided like, I am going to do this thing. And then you go out and get a dog for agility, for herding, for scent work and say, I'm going to, now I'm going to be really good at it. I'm going to be purposefully good at this instead of sort of like accidentally got as far as I could with the dog I had on hand. (laughs) Yeah. And then it doesn't go so well. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally, that was, it it is fractal. So um, I I cannot remember the number of conversations that I had before I got him and the people saying, do you really want that much dog? And I was like, yes, I'm here for it. That's exactly what I want. I want the dog that can go a million miles an hour. I'm fast. I can keep up with a dog that goes that fast. I am ready for it. And then he was an awful bar knocker and we couldn't ever cue. And it was <laughs> awful. Yes. Like, really, like, too long, didn't read, fractal, knocked a lot of bars, and missed a lot of context. There you go. But really, like, what I had such huge goals for him. I wanted to go to world team trial events. I wanted to go to the European Open team tryouts. I wanted to go to world team tryouts. And you know what? For three straight years, we couldn't qualify. And I was, speaking of priorities, going to AKC trials every single weekend it Mm -hmm. he was four by the time I got him Mm -hmm. out of novice four people four Mm -hmm. so when you're complaining about your 18 month old dog that is still in novice remember fractal was four so Mm -hmm. and he was four and not going off course either a lot of your cues, a lot of your yeah. runs were phenomenally beautiful. Yeah. The handling was beautiful. The courses were beautiful. He was on course, but he'd knock a bar yeah. or he'd miss a contact. Like it, yeah. it was all so close. So for close. So long. And I mean, to the point of, I think we went three or four months without a single cue. Or I should say, like, we'd cue in time to beat, which doesn't help us for tryouts right so Mm -hmm. that so like that's kind of one example of your 2.0 dog that like you can't get it together for and at that point I was like that's the the what we're talking about where I'm like I don't I don't understand I remember two or three times even putting these pleas on Facebook like please watch these runs with my dog what am I doing wrong I don't understand. I was so frustrated and so downtrodden that I didn't, what do I even do? And I think I'm not the only person that that's happened to. And so like, Alyssa, what about you? What was your, who was your 2.0 dog and what did that journey look like? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you could argue that Lincoln was my 2.0 dog, but I think, um, the reality is a jet was kind of my 2.0 dog because, Lincoln was great and he did everything that I told him to. And we actually achieved some 
pretty good success, at least at local trials and that kind of thing. He wasn't particularly fast, but we learned a lot. And I still don't feel like I had big goals for him. Right. Um, when I got Jet, that's when I had big goals. I was getting his border collie. I was getting him specifically for the sport. Yep. He had siblings that were in agility and doing relatively well. And so, you know, here I was pretty naive. Like if you get the dog the right dog, you're just magically going to be able to meet all these goals, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, as it turns out, that is so not the case. But in his case, um, there were a couple of things working against us. He had a really hard time with the environment because he would get so uh, excited and amped up that he'd lose his brain a little bit. It was hard to get him to drop his toy. It was hard to get him to stay on the start line, some of those kinds of things, because it just... It amped him up so much to be in an agility environment. But the the more sort of disruptive thing to our journey was his injuries. He got injured when he was two and took him out for five months. He got injured then again when he was like three and a half or something like that, right when we were finally starting to find our groove. And then he got injured again right at the beginning of COVID. And that took him out for another four or five months. And plus it was COVID and it just finally got to the point where I couldn't handle the heartbreak of training him getting really close to being and having it all together and then having him get hurt again and then rehabbing for three or four months and hoping he was okay and then being really paranoid that he wasn't okay and then and he didn't get injured in agility it was other external factors where he would get injured generally speaking and I couldn't handle the heartbreak anymore. And I couldn't handle trying to set goals and then not not being able to meet them because he was hurt. Um, yeah. And I remember the closest I came was um, pre-COVID. I needed one more standard queue to get enough scores for, I think, EO tryouts, mm-hmm. um, which really isn't that high of a bar. But because of our sort of impulse control issues and things, um, we we had a really hard time getting cues. It wasn't usually because of bars. It was usually because of either off courses or um, a missed contacts. And uh, he was certainly fast enough, but we I didn't have the training. I didn't know how to handle him properly. He was fast. Um, and we had this course and you were there. And it was this really fun course, a premier run. Dan Butcher designed it. And we got through the entire thing and then at the very last jump, I really oh. should have kind of crossed behind him. And I was totally out of gas. The, the course was oh, huge. It was I, like the end of the, the pure ship trial. Yeah. Uh, and Jet kind of did his little stutter steppy, almost wanted to refuse. And I couldn't quite show him the last jump properly. And he took the backside instead of the front. Mm-hmm. And it was our last opportunity to qualify for European Open tryouts. And it was absolutely heartbreaking because his run was gorgeous stunning yeah it was no, I stunning that. he got all his contacts even the judge he was just like oh heartbroken yeah. that he didn't get it and and that was really tough because that was our only yeah. opportunity left to get to eo trials well, that year and then and we had already we bought plane go. tickets that's right right we had already bought that's plane right tickets. i mean we were we planning had, to go we, we was finally getting everything booked. together yep and, and then, of course, COVID hit, so we didn't go anyway. Right. It did the the event didn't happen, but it didn't minimize the heartbreak in the moment. Like nope. you didn't know that in the in the moment. And I think, I mean, other things that happen to people with those dogs is like they get a border collie, and then maybe they're so environmentally sensitive that they shut down, and like they literally can't mm-hmm. play the sport. Or you get a border collie that doesn't 
love agility or you realize maybe like, oh, I had like my first dog really liked sort of agility. They had sort of easy things that could reinforce them. And then I get this other dog that I think is going to be easy because they're a border collie. And then sort of like we talked about in the off-breed episode that like, and then they just don't love the sport and I don't know how Mm -hmm. to engage them. And so this was supposed to be this like great dog. I talked to somebody who I randomly shared a trip up to class with via Facebook randomness. Um, and she talked about how she got a dog from this litter that was this like ooh ah pairing of dogs. And every single dog in the litter was a dud. Like none of them were sport prospects. And they mm-hmm. were supposed to be like the creme de la creme. It was this very anticipated breeding. So I mean, we've had some very personal experiences. There are other ways in which that experience can take shape. And so what we, you know, want to talk through is like, okay, so I've mostly had a growth mindset. I've, I've, you know, looked at my failures and and right-sized my goals and I've changed things, but like, I've prioritized this experience. I have missed birthday parties or baseball games or family gatherings, dinners, what have you. And I've used all my vacation time. I've used all my (laughs) vacation time. I didn't go to Hawaii. Um, (laughs) I have never had a honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) I've made so many sacrifices for this sport and I failed. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And so take a deep breath. (laughs) It is perfectly acceptable to take a couple of days to like pout, grieve, be sad, cry, grieve. Like there's grief associated with failing to meet one of these goals. And so that's where I think people can tend to sugarcoat the kind of positive outlook, right? Um, The... Other thing is to really think about how much you are tying your self-worth to your ability to achieve these agility goals. So I think that people see this more commonly in a professional setting that um, your like your work is your life and that if you run a program or a product or something like that and then that product gets shut down for business reasons, it can be very like it, but you've you've done everything for this product. You've put in nights and weekends and turned down vacations, right? You've you've sacrificed everything for this. And then suddenly the business says, we don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you've tied that to your self-worth. It's a really, really difficult. And what you have to realize is that is not a reflection of your worth or value as a person that you are still lovable and deserving and capable and so it because you didn't achieve these things does not mean you are not worthy of love value all of those kinds of things and that that's really hard to accept sometimes mm-hmm And that is one of the reasons, as I talked about on the previous episode, that I cultivate a lot of identities, right? Because I think about this with like Olympic athletes that just crash after they retire. They're so young. 
but their entire identity is wrapped up in being an Olympian, an Olympic-level athlete. And without it, they don't know who they are. And so that's why I think it's really, really important to connect to other things, whether that be family, hiking, you know, the outdoors, gardening, sewing, guitar, online gaming, family, trying to think of other hobbies, but I'm mostly thinking of my own type of things that I like (laughs) to do. So what are other things that you enjoy and what does that speak to about who you are and who you want out of life? And that sometimes it's okay to give up your agility or dog sport identity for a little while Mm -hmm. and explore other identities and other pieces of you. And the more that we have other facets of our life, the more we make connections that can help us kind of solve problems other places. Um, And really think. Yeah. And I think about, I think a lot about sort of the failures that I've had over time within this sport and with where I am now, part of what my success would help is the business that I've started, right? So yep. Crow Creek Dog Sports Center is a, is all about dog sports. And I do believe that one of the things that would give us, give me more sort of um, capital in that game is mm-hmm. if I were to start winning things, right? If I yep. were starting to be known on more of a national stage that like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. And then that capital would turn around into my business. Mm-hmm. But even before that, I have, I think, wrapped up a lot of what I do into the sport. And one of the things that helps is if I can show people who aren't so into dogs what my dogs can do, Mm -hmm. they're floored. You know, if you go and you're showing my coworkers, I take my dogs to, to work on occasion and I'll show them some of the tricks that they know, which relative to many of my <laughs> online friends is not very many, no. but relative to the pet dog population is a lot. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so they just, ooh, and awe about their behavior, about their skills, about these things. And I think, wow, there's a lot that I know that other people don't yeah. related to dogs. And the other piece that I really had to work on, even from the time I had Lincoln, but even with, with, with tug to a certain extent. Um, and I don't think I really identified it until I got Tilly who I didn't actually have competition goals with because she wasn't my dog Mm -hmm. was finding joy in the training and really enjoying the process. And when I started to really enjoy the process, I think I get as much joy out of the process of training and seeing improvement as I do being out on the competition field. And then that has further been reinforced um, by doing some teaching. So yesterday I taught some workshops and over the course of having as many dogs as I've had with a varying degree of sort of training preferences and needs emotionally, uh, because I think about Jet being too high arousal and I think about Ale who can get really pushy and kind of sticky when she's unclear or has experienced failure. And I think of Leo who needs really clean loops to not get frustrated and he needs really clear criteria and really clear reinforcement strategies. And I think about Tug who was so overwhelmed by the environment that I really had to help him with that. And I think about Lincoln who was happy to do 
anything for food, but really needed a lot of help to do it with any kind of speed. Mm -hmm. And I think about all of these experiences and in reality, depending on how you set your goals, failures with each one of those Mm -hmm. dogs that have taught me so much that yesterday I went into that workshop and I had, um, let's see, a total of, I think, 15 dogs over the course of the day. They all had various skill levels. They all had various um, responses to the environment and to their handler. And their handlers had a variety of skill levels. And the fact that I have failed so many times with so many dogs, (laughs) it actually provided me with so much insight for their dogs that I think that every single dog yesterday left more focused and more engaged with their handler and that each of them had realistic homework that they can work on because I've had so many of those experiences. And so I think about that and what I saw yesterday and the number of people who wrote me to say, thank you so much. I learned this and this, or I've never had it explained to me that way or whatever, that they gave me that feedback that all of my failures are worth it. Even if I never get to a podium. Now that said, I'm not giving up on my podium goals. (laughs) Okay. I really still would love to get that to that place, but I also can't discount or devalue what I have learned because I have continued to fail so many times. Right. And, and I think that's where like, it all kind of comes back to after you grieve, after you tell yourself that like you're still worth it, do and and I think it's fair to evaluate like do you want to continue to do this because if this kind <clears throat> of level of discomfort and failure is not what you want wherever you're at in life, that's okay too and you have the choice yeah. to like kind of lessen your goals and just say I want to go and I want to enter the trial with my dog and I want to, you know, make a good plan that I think I can achieve and execute that plan and that that is fun enough for me. That's good enough for me. Like there's a lot of different things and so much of it is about your expectation and how you frame it, which is sort of very Buddhist kind of outlook, um, that that makes a huge difference in huge difference in how you feel about the experience so that that's something like for you to evaluate and if in the end you're like Alyssa and I and you're like I'm not giving up on these dreams (laughs) (laughs) and you're still gonna move forward that that's where you go okay I don't know what's doing wrong what I'm doing wrong and what did I do with fractal right I just I kept asking. And I ended up taking a class from Linda Mecklenburg and really starting to analyze his jumping and get it because I did, I took enough video that I finally, don't tell my employer it was during the workday and I had nothing else to do. (laughs) I watched every single agility video I had on my phone and I made a spreadsheet to see like what it was that cost us the cue. Was it an off course or a missed contact or a drop bar? or a refusal and a fractal is an e-getter not an r-getter so it by and large was not refusals right it was and so i think after that i was like all right knocked bars like if i could cut out the knocked bars we would increase our cue rate like exponentially just by keeping the bars up because that's our like the biggest thing that we're missing and so it was knocked bars and missed contacts and so um and i ended up 
I, so I just changed my approach at that point. I yes. was like, one, we have to have a start line because I'm never getting anywhere with this super fast dog if I don't have a start line. And if he broke his start line, the, um, the fix and go had come about at that point, And I would go set him back. Like, we haven't lost the cue, right? He broke his start line. He took the first jump. We're all good. If I fix the start line, I'm giving up the cue. And that was something that Daisy Peel said to me at one point. She said, never sacrifice anything except the cue. Always sacrifice the cue for the sake of your training, for the sake of consistency. And that mm-hmm. is a super, super hard pill to swallow. And it's people really were hard. floored that I could do it. But I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. When you've had that much failure, the conviction comes. I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not having a dog that breaks his start line. He's got to figure that out. And so I, I like I did that. And so really taking the time then to analyze what it was that was causing our failure. And that was what it looked like for him. Um, it can look very different for other dogs. And so then I, you know, just came up with a plan of attack. Um, he, all of that being said, like he ended up getting injured when we were trying to come back from COVID. I'm sure it was some kind of soft tissue. He wasn't properly conditioned type of a thing. And it really ended his international career. And in the mm-hmm. end, I just had to grieve. I, that that was what it was. Yep. I had to grieve the loss of that goal with that dog and decide if I wanted to continue in agility with another dog. Like sometimes that is what it comes down to is that there is a, yep. a lot of grieving in this sport. A dog that has a, you know, a career ending injury it's just grief, man, and and going yeah. through that and handling it as best you can and leaning on the community and your friends and your family. But that like there's no sugarcoating that. That's it. That's what you got to do. You got to grieve and move on when you're ready. And if you decide that that's something that emotionally you want to put yourself on the line for again, like I think about that sometimes with spray, like we've we've had a good start. Things are going in a great direction. I'm trying to be really thoughtful about my goals. Um, but she could get injured and and be out and like, God, what would I do at that point? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm hey. really, really hoping I never <laughs> am faced with that. But the, well, I certainly worry about that um, with Ole in particular, right? Because Jet they're half siblings. So if there's something genetically, that's a component of that, then that's a little bit of a worry, even though, uh, and, and in Ollie's case, I actually had her OFAs done right, uh, right after she turned two and she has elbow dysplasia grade one in her right elbow. Mm. And so here I have this dog who is remarkably fast. Mm -hmm. Um, she's got all the talent in the world. We certainly have, some training issues to still figure out and I'm still figuring out how to handle a a dog that wants to be you know running at the speed of light all the time (laughs) (laughs) and and who um you know and and so I'm having to change my skills and become a better handler and she's very sensitive to me and so I'm having to figure out how to kind of find my zen and still get her through these courses when she's going a million miles an hour um and I know that for the most part, I'm the weak link in that relationship, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's She's got it. I just have to, I have to do my part to help her. And I enjoy training her so much. And so 
but I'm so scared that that elbow is going to catch up with us someday or mm-hmm. something else because because I've had that experience of a dog who's sort of chronically injured and it is really difficult to make the choice to still set high goals mm-hmm. knowing that those are risks and um and so what do you do with that and in part it is getting smarter about my training mm-hmm. um you know when jet has gone through his injuries when he would come up hurt after the first couple of days and I would know like this isn't something he's just going to get over right? right there's something something more seriously wrong I would be legitimately depressed for a couple of days and just heartbroken mm-hmm. right and then I had to get over it. I had to get over it and figure out my plan to move forward. And so yeah. with him, especially for the first couple of injuries, it was like, all right, I'm going to figure out what I need to do. I'm going to, I'm going to find the right specialist. I'm going to find what's wrong with him. Yep. And I'm going to find the best, best path forward to get him ready. And I'm going to dive into the rehab and I'm going to get him better. And then I'm going to make sure he's strong enough to come back to the sport. And I did do that. I think mm-hmm. three times yep. before, before I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. Like, yeah, I'm going to get it better, but I'm not going to put my hopes on him as far as the agility career goes. And I just had to let that go because yeah. it wasn't fair to either him or me right. to continue in that fashion. And thank God, because, you know, since then he's like broken his foot and now he's all sliced up from some <laughs> injury in the yard and all these things. So that was the right decision for that dog. And he gets to be a farm dog and that's fine. With Ole, um, there's certainly times when it's a real struggle to think, why am I putting so much effort into this dog who could get hurt or who could have a really mm-hmm. short career if mm-hmm. if um, if her elbow dysplasia catches up with her, right? And and so I haven't spayed her yet because of it, because I, I want to make sure that she's still got good muscle mass to keep up with that right elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, I have her worked on more sort of religiously from a body worker than I do myself or anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably spend more, more money on <laughs> massage and chiropractic care for her than I ever have just to make sure that she's in really good shape. And I'm paying really close attention to that. Um, but but it is hard to also not let the pressure of i do sacrifice so much for this sport mm-hmm. i ask my husband to sacrifice a lot and a lot of time away from me for this sport i have started a business based on this sport that has my finances wrapped up into it mm-hmm. right um that's a lot of pressure to put on myself yep. to succeed related to this sport. And so, um, so I've had to find in order to keep going with that kind of pressure, I have, I have had to find the joy in the training. And I'm really grateful that before I started this business, I do really enjoy training my dogs. I enjoy seeing the success of my dogs and then sort of having the reinforcement of others starting to learn from me and seeing Mm -hmm. them improve even in one little workshop also helps me. Um, But I got to be honest, I feel like if in the next couple of years, I don't start to hit some podiums at some big events, I'm really going to have a hard time wondering what I'm doing, right? Because I have some pretty lofty goals for all a in particular, um, to reach. So what if we don't? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the really hard 
bit. And then that's where I think you have to find your why. Like, why am I doing this? Because I think so often it is because if I can hit the podium, then it's all worth it, right? It becomes this kind of it's tied up in that. And like, is it that or is it I really enjoy spending time with my dogs. I enjoy spending time training them and seeing what they learn. And like, and if we get some kind of external reinforcement, that's great. And if we don't, like if I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm a really competitive person. I, you know, part of the reason I coach baseball for my boys is because I played softball for 10 years and enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed winning and and working hard and getting better. And like, that's what I want. I want that level of validation that like my effort has been worth it. And that's where you have to overcommit (laughs) to the growth mindset and say, okay, it's been two years. I'm still not hitting those podiums. Why? What do I need to do differently? What does right. what does what needs to change in my approach? Because clearly what I'm not what I'm doing is not getting me where I want to go. And that it always involves being ridiculously humble about what you have done and what you're accomplishing and how you're approaching things. And that, you know, we look back on training sessions and go, oh, should have ended that training session five minutes sooner. And I watched a video on uh, Facebook recently, and that was somebody's caption, like, in looking at this video, I should have ended the training session at this point. Mm -hmm. And like, and they didn't. And it was somebody that was a really skilled dog trainer. And they were they were doing rehab with their dog, actually. And so that's like, if that's the goal like I and I I can't I can't give you an answer because I've asked myself so many times like why why do I have these competitive goals like so many people would look at my life and be like but you have two beautiful children and you live in a beautiful house and you have a really great job like why are you doing this I'm like my answer is I don't know I just want it I want it I want to go do that because and I guess, I mean, sort of like, I just want to be challenged I because I can't find anything else in life that presents that kind of challenge where I can like attain things, right? I said like, I'm not going to write a song on the guitar and become a, you know, singer songwriter on the radio. Like, <laughs> right? like I'm, it's not, that's not a thing that's going to happen, but if I work my butt off and train my dog and like, and I love dogs and I, um, I'm still looking for some of the joy that you find in training Alyssa. Um, but I, I really enjoy pushing myself and learning and I enjoy the people that I meet in the agility community. And Mm -hmm. like, that's where I find I want to spend my time. And so then it's about being willing to change what I'm doing, to learn. And sometimes I think when you get to higher and higher levels in the sport, you have to recognize that like, I might have to fly to Europe or, you know, that like this European presenter that I think can really help me, I'm going to have to fly across the country. That's the only place that they're coming. So like I can fly to New Jersey or I can fly to Poland. 
Um, I know you went down to a seminar in Arizona type of a thing. And when you're and you're mm-hmm. doing that and you're prioritizing that learning over going to probably three or four or five different local trials yep. that, you know, maybe, OK, I have to get to the point where I can queue up in two to three trials and I don't have to spend a lot of time on that because I'm spending my time and my money and my resources chasing down the instruction that will actually help me improve in my Yes. Preferred method version of agility. And so that's the like, yeah, that's the crap part is that I said, oh, I'm going to minimize this whole growth mindset thing. And then in the end, that's actually what you have to do. Like after you grieve, after you're ready to move on, if you decide that this is what you still want, you've got to figure out how to turn the failure into learning, even if it feels insurmountable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's what I ended up doing a lot with Jet is, and that's when I think I started not trialing as much because Lincoln did fine with trials. And and like I said, we were relatively successful. We weren't terribly fast, but we were reliable. Um, and with Jet, um, we were plenty fast and not reliable at all. Right. And we weren't <laughs> finding success um, on, on the trial field. And I had to find people who could help me with his and my sort of mindset, right? Mm -hmm. I had to help. I had to find Sarah Strimming was huge in my learning at that point in my life because I didn't know how to get this dog to continue thinking while Mm -hmm. he was in an agility arena, right? And that's where I learned so much about about, um, dogs who get sort of over aroused or worked up or what have you. And that there's so many things that apply, not just dogs, to dogs who get worked up, but to dogs who shut down. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it's very similar, the approach yep. to fixing that, right? And and I had to learn that stuff. And now I use that in my approach to young dogs, regardless of whether they have the problem or not, because mm-hmm. I know that their learning will be optimized if I can take advantage of that. And I think one of the things that I both love and hate about this sport is that every dog is different and every dog is mm-hmm. going to have a different journey. And yep. here I thought I was getting Leo, like I've raised two border collies. Now I've learned so much. There's no <laughs> way I'm going to be thrown for too much of a loop. And then I got Leo and he's been the hardest dog I've ever raised. And, um, <laughs> and he's so loud and he gets frustrated so easily. And honest to God, I think he's the smartest dog I've ever had, but he's also just a royal pain in the butt sometimes yeah. because he's a lot of dog, yeah. he's so much dog, but here I am now he's 12 months old. He's been such a hard puppy and challenged me in every way. And he still wants to destroy things because, you know, <laughs> he doesn't get enough of an outlet, but I tell you what, I've been taking him to class this last six weeks um, and he can focus for a freaking hour mm. and work with me the entire time. And he's not barking his head off and he's doing so well. And his mental state is so steady the entire time. And neither of my previous border colleagues have been that way. Mm-hmm. And by God, I've been laughing lately with Peyton because we're like, yeah, you watch, he's going to be the hardest freaking puppy to raise. And he's going to be my most successful agility. Yeah. Dog. Like I, yeah. I almost guarantee it, yeah. Right. Because the combination of me being pushed to improve with both Ale and Jet in terms of my handling, because mm-hmm. I think Ale is going to force me to become the best handler I can be. Yep. Um, and and then having to deal with sort of emotional things with Jet and and to a certain extent Leo and then him teaching me other things to improve 
how I communicate with him, his, how I react to what he needs for his learning style. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take all this stuff that like hasn't gone my way and it's all going to culminate right into some success with him. And none of that would happen if I didn't have all these previous failures. And, and so it's going to be really interesting to see um, how his career develops because I think it'll be a little slower than Ole, for instance, but I kind of feel like once we get there, he's just going to be there. Yeah. And that won't have been true with previous dogs. Yeah. And I I had a really interesting conversation. So I I talked in the last episode. And so who knows, this will be a month later or whatever, when it finally comes out, but that I had to go to the office for three days. And so, and I, I work in instructional design for adult learners and we train like 80,000 people in the state of Oregon with various different things. So um, it's it's fairly high stakes in certain ways. And I have been tasked with creating a cultural competency curriculum for in-home care providers in the state of Oregon. And so we were doing a train the trainer for that training. So training people how to do cultural competency training, which that, that'll melt your mind all by itself. Yeah. Well, and- what? <laughs> And we were debriefing afterwards, and the facilitator has worked for 20-some years in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and has all this experience. And I really only come at it from the, like, instructional design slash dog training lens. I joke all the time about how much (laughs) I use the dog training lens when it comes to training people. Oh, yeah. And... um, A hundred percent. Right? And so we were talking about how... Like, why are dog people, why do dog people tend to be liberal? Which was, it was like this funny off topic roundabout thing. And I was <laughs> like, well, but the thing is, you have to assume that like positive intent out of the dog. Like you don't, you don't get anywhere. Like if you have a positive reinforcement kind of outlook on dog training, that was more specifically what we were talking about. You have to assume positive intent of the dog but that there there is this other kind of like empathy piece to it that is you know where it tied into this cultural competency thing is that it's about decentering yourself and that I think that's kind of what I was getting at with the identity piece too is that like but the failure's not about you in certain ways mm-hmm. right that it, it's not yeah. a it's not a value judgment and just like when you are talking to people or trying to provide feedback that it's about the behavior and not the person. So it, yes. we're not, it's not devaluing you as a person. Um, and it was something that I learned when I had kids that the crying baby is not a judgment about you. Like that was, the, that's the thing I think happens to so many people. You get like defensive. Why are you crying? I, I yeah. did, I'm doing all this stuff for you. And it's not, it's just information. There's some way in which the, there's a need that's not being met. And the only option yeah. that a baby has is to cry. Well, Leo is not a baby. He is a dog. And the option he has is to scream. <laughs> and yeah. so. Or shred the carpet. Or shred the carpet, <laughs> right? And it's super, super frustrating. I'm not saying it's not frustrating, but you have to be, that's where it's like the self-awareness of like, wow, I'm feeling really triggered by this dog's behavior. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Well, the dog mm-hmm. is telling me that his he needs more are, exercise. He needs, he needs more, more exercise. mental exercise, whatever. It's yep. not about me. Yep. And it's not a reflection of me. I need, I nope. have the opportunity to make a different choice in how I respond to this behavior. And so- yeah. 
that it was kind of about that. I said, so if you're a good dog trainer and if you've got to this like positive reinforcement place, it means you're willing to accept, to decenter yourself and to be humble and say, what I want is to give this dog or this person who seems really closed minded what they need and that it's not about me and what I want yeah. right now. It's about what they need. And my job is to meet that need and I'm willing to give that. And so like Leo needs really clean loops. Sprite needs to not fail. She needs to not mm -hmm. fail. And man, that's hard for me because I'm like, can you get it now? Can you get it now? How about now? How about uh -huh. now? Have you, have you figured it out yet? Have you figured it out yet? Yeah. Right? Like, I, but it's not about that. It's like, have I set you up for success? No, I didn't. I should do something different. Have I set you up yeah. for success? No, I didn't. I should do something different. And so that that becomes, it's a very, very different frame of mind and approach and that if you are failing a lot, and, and even if you're failing big, that's the question. Like, does my dog need different skills? Do I need better mental management, right? That you've got to kind of run through the litany. And if you don't know what you're doing wrong, go ask people, right? Yep. Yep. Well, and ask not just anyone either. Yeah. So I think that's one big thing too, as I've had so much failure <laughs> um, that I have learned to do is ask questions of the people who are actually going to know. So your yeah. sort of general peer group is not always going to know the answers. When yeah. I was teaching Tug and he was so scared of the environment, the people around me couldn't help me identify that that was serious anxiety about the environment, right? right? They couldn't help me figure that out. When I had Jet and he was just like, Wah! you know, I didn't have um, necessarily a peer group who recognized that he was just getting amped up or if they did, they didn't know how to help me fix it. Right. And so right. until I found Sarah, I didn't know how to help him. And so finding the right person to fix whatever's going on is often sort of the key. And you may not find that right away, but I think you have to look at when you do get advice, if you try it, is it actually helping or is it not? And if it's not helping, get rid of it. And if it is helping, then great. Right. Um, and be honest about whether or also... not you really actually implemented the advice. That That's important. Yes, <laughs> that is a good point, too. Did I actually listen? And was I consistent? And all these things. And and then I think there's also the time types of failure that are just insurmountable, like a dog getting injured. Right. There's just that failure where I think the only thing that you can do is grieve and figure out how to move forward with that dog, maybe in a different sport, maybe in a different activity and or get another dog so that you continue in the sport and and learn from it so that hopefully it's not repeated. And sometimes there's just going to be those times where the failure is real and there is no alternative and yeah, you have to grieve it and then move on in yep. another way. Um, so, so many ways to take that so many ways to react. Um, I think in general, what we kind of want to leave you with is the failure is not always about you. And it doesn't mean that you're worthless. No. Um, and it doesn't mean that there aren't things you can learn from to apply later in the future. And it also might mean adjusting your goals a little bit mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yep. That's okay. Well, right. And that it, it, 
I eventually thought with Fractal, like, well, we're not going to make a world team, so I'm just going to go to Europe. I'm going to go to an open. And I still kind of think that with Sprite, that that's something I should do. I mean, there's so many options, really, and there's so many choices that you can make. And so I think what you have to evaluate is what's the best option for me? What's realistic? Mm-hmm. What can I afford? What what can I achieve? Um that kind of thing. And I think also we have to realize that this game is our game, not our dog's game. And they don't really care one way or another if they make a world team or not. No. No. And I would say to briefly like and get creative, right? I ran someone else's dog that was injured for like an entire year, basically. So always looking at what what are options? What's maybe less thought of Facebook hive mind can be a great thing sometimes. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. don't ask some because that was how I landed my loner dog was just on Facebook because I was like, man, I'd love to go to this trial. I don't have a dog. So get get creative and that that's like if your goal is to stay in the sport and you can't get another dog, can you borrow a dog? Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like it's really if you focus on the goal, it really gets back to the like where there's a will, there's a way. Get curious, try stuff, talk to people. Design thinking is a great way to go about things if you want something other than the growth mindset to focus on. Alan, give yourself time to grieve. Grieve the goal you've lost. Yep. And then figure out how to move on. That's right. So I think yep. I think that's about what we got. That's what we got. So that's all for today's episode. Don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast so you can join us for our next episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. or by visiting our website at www.caninehijinks.com. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to go out and have some fun with your dogs. Talk to you next time.